0: Cool. Here we are, Gustavo. Um, we're back with a nice. podcast and uh, today with me is Gustavo Vidal and he says, and these are his own words, you are a jack of all trades and master of none, which I think it's, uh, it's a very cool description. Gustavo, welcome welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Matteo. No, thank you. Thank you for doing this. And uh, we've been trying to, to have this conversation for a while, so I'm, uh, I'm very happy. I'm very happy we're doing this after after a long time and and it feels like we have, uh, we have a lot to talk about. Uh, let, me, let me sort of leave you the stage and allow you to maybe introduce yourself, talk a bit about your background and, uh, and the reason why mental health uh, is such a big topic for you.
1: Sure. Um, so uh, I'm a medical doctor by background, by training. I've studied in Portugal uh, and did my training as a general practitioner also in portugal and it has been my let's say my dream for since i was a medical student to join the organization doctors Without borders and do medicine in the humanitarian fields which i uh, ended up of course joining them for for a few years and i've been in different missions around the around the globe um and to jump to your then maybe to your question, why my interest in mental health uh, happened that one of my missions was uh, with refugees uh, in uh, in Greece, where the project was basically uh, targeted to victims of torture, victims of violence and victims of trauma. Uh, and of course I got very quietly engaged with, with mental health topics and uh, a vast majority of the of the of the problems there were about mental health. Of course, there were also some some medical, let's say, more physical um, diseases associated on this project. But mental health was the the vast component. Um, and also, already before I had uh, I had this contact, I was already interested in in sort of uh, psychology and more on the field as well of self development. Uh, and I think one thing led to another that this interest got deepened, and I, I got very curious about mental health, and also to understand these these patients, to understand these um, to, to be able to provide better care. I also had to dig a bit deeper on on fields of of let's say of medicine that I was not so familiar, or that were training as as medical doctors doesn't give us so uh, so much insight on
0: now now i see what you mean when you're uh, when you're a jack of all trades i mean i think you're ma- you're actually master of a few of them <laughs> there's there's more there's more <laughs> but uh, but uh, it's uh it's it's interesting you have i mean i think now people can see why i was i was so eager to speak to you you do have you do have at least to me a very a very unique background and uh, and you know like uh, will will unfold as the conversation goes but like one of the reasons we were so we were so eager to have this conversation is also mm-hmm. because uh, you know obviously you have you have a medical training you have so sort of a formal training which you know Dora and I don't have of course we come from we come from business development and sales in the uh, in the digital in the digital sphere and uh, and when we started doing this podcast you know it was our uh, you know our really our goal, I guess, to attract as many people with uh, with your with your background as uh, as we could, because I think it's a perfect complement to um, to the podcast and to the discussion overall. And and when you talk about you know being uh, trained as a as a medical doctor, uh, you know the first thing that I that I think of, whether I'm biased or not, is you know I think of general practitioners overall right and uh, and uh, I think about my own experience uh, when first struggling with stress anxiety depression or burnout uh, or or a bit of all of them uh, the first thing that I that I normally do or, or did was to you know head to my to a general practitioner to my whether it's a house doctor or or uh, or just like you know somebody who has a sort of a general medical training mm-hmm. and start you know unfolding what were my what were my symptoms my issues uh, and and sort of like having those first conversations with somebody who i thought would really uh be the authority in the field Uh, for one reason or another it it was never always the case right like there were there were some uh, while it was very useful to to uh, i think brainstorm or to have a confrontation with uh, with the general practitioner it was it was rarely the case where i could be given a specific path to follow um, and and this was one of the one of the topics that i that i wanted to touch with you because you know i i obviously don't think that's uh that's uh, you know the fault or of the general practitioner i don't think it's uh, uh it's if anything it was my fault for not being able to clearly identify certain certain issues uh but i'm sure there is more to that and i wanted to i wanted to um ask your opinion and see first of all if you agree with this sort of like you know coming from let's say the other side if you agree with this sort of uh, um i guess input that i gave you and uh and maybe you have uh, you have some more feedback or ideas uh, of yourself on that
1: I totally understand your your experience. And I would say this would be probably the classical experience in most GP practices, the experience that you had, let's say it was is a unsatisfying experience where you don't feel understood by, by the doctor, and also the doctor also doesn't understand you. Um and I think there's many factors to it. I think one of the factors it's that GPs are not trained to understand these these kind of symptoms, and they don't give value enough to these to these symptoms. And it's, uh, I mean, of course, you you're a young, uh, healthy, I mean, in in the traditional sense, you're a hung, young, healthy person, and in the GP's eyes, there's no reason for you to be worried about your symptoms because you did the checkup, maybe you maybe did some blood work, some physical examination. There's nothing for you to worry about. Still, you feel the symptoms. I mean, this is worrisome for you. This is causing an impact in your life. This is causing, um, yeah, this is disturbing you. And I think this is the, the first point that is the GP is failing to recognize. We, I think, we as, as GPs, we fail to recognize when some. I think the the first step is to exclude that is something serious or potentially life threatening. And when this this is this is done. It's okay. This is not life-threatening. This is I cannot find any organic cause for these for these symptoms, so it's nothing. So I'm I'm always undervaluing your your uh, your complaints, um, and I think, like I mentioned, one one of the things is this: there's this lack of awareness of of GPS to understand that these are real symptoms that people are concerned and they are, it's affecting their their life in a sense. Um, I think the second point, it's about time. When you go to a GP practice, usually you have 10, 15 minutes for for an appointment, which I think, even if there was a training, even if there was this willingness to, to understand and dig deeper on these symptoms, probably the GP wouldn't have the time to to dig deeper, to understand about your current life, about your stress factors, about your behaviors, your attitudes, your kind of psychological well-being. I mean, this kind of assessment does take time. Um, and it's as well one of the limitations that we see in, in GP practices that there's not this time for this. Uh, I th- so I think these this kind of, uh, these factors lead that there's a, an unsatisfying outcome for both the GP and both for the patient because you go with the complaints, that are undermined by the doctor. You come out of the, with the, of the practice with a couple of pills that don't work, or you've tried them a couple of times and they don't work. And also for the GP is quite unsatisfying because he's not able to help you. So there's this dynamic that's has been created around these this kind of symptoms, these kind of complaints, um, that is is really a, a problem. Let's say for for both for both of, of the patient and the professional. And as well, just to add up, I think these encounters are not so uncommon at all. I would say that, especially in GP practices, and there's, there's some studies that I'll, I'll analyze this, but I would say up to 30% of, of complaints that are presented on the GP practices, they are probably related to psychological, psychosomatic, uh, complaints or let's say complaints without an organic cause so for sure there's a big gap <clears throat> in Western medicine um, in order to to support this to have a better relationship between patient and professionals in this type of complaints and symptoms
0: it's interesting because I you touched on a lot of really sort of like yet yeah, exact points I guess I wanted to I wanted to speak about and, and it's interesting that you have a similar view coming from from um gp or you know medical training in this in this case a formal medical training and um, and so as far as i understand you know clearly and and you said it exactly right like it, it this situation leaves both the patient and the doctor frustrated right like because you know i've i've never come i have to i have to be honest i never really come across a doctor who wasn't genuinely interested in helping me, you know. Like they, they, they're all um, extremely available, but it feels like, for sure, time time is an issue, uh, and especially when I have a problem argumenting my um, my symptoms because there's so many or they're so um, they're so either volatile or not clear to myself. Then it's very hard for me to communicate them. And as as much as the GP uh, makes an effort to 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 get those, uh, you know, we cannot really. I guess practically we cannot really. Take a couple of hours and, and try to unfold them like maybe some other professionals would do um, and and as far as I can tell so it's a really a, a structural problem in the sense that it seems that the training that uh, that medical practitioners or general practitioners or in this case go through is is a very probably let me say standardized but also different training compared to Uh, what a lot of patients nowadays would uh, would expect because if I think of let's say burnout right like and from from the little I know burnout is classified as a syndrome not necessarily a medical condition which means that there is never a clear cause a clear root cause Uh, but there is a bunch of symptoms and uh, and uh, convert to medical condition I cannot really um, trace back those symptoms to to a specific cause, and then just uh, just cure it with, or treat it with a medicine. In the case of uh, syndromes like burnout, there is so many different symptoms, and, and what the medical, what the what the, um, general practitioner would do is first try to exclude every uh, traditional cause that uh, that would lead to those symptoms. Is that is mm-hmm. that sort of correct?
1: That's that's absolutely correct. Uh, I think it's a bit what I mentioned. I think the priority for for the GP would be to exclude, <clears throat> I'll, I'll put it in brackets, but let's say an organic cause, right, a, a, a physical cause. So I think medicine is largely based on, on, on science and on research and on investigation and and, and uh, everything needs to be somewhat like document proven. Um, has to be a proof of of existence um and i mean I've, i think it's a of course is a, a great thing it's it's come a long way that' that how medicine evolved in the past uh, in the past years due, due to the science and due to having a scientific um, background associated to medicine um but of course leads to this we have this set of exams this set of pathologies that we know and uh, that we also know their mechanisms and we know What's the science behind it? Uh, and then we have these sort of of, um, of let's say conditions like like burnout that you're that you're mentioning that causes a diverse range of symptoms, but let's say that the traditional medicine cannot find any uh, organic alterations, and this is why it's it's sort of discarded as a, as it's not an organic problem; it's a psychological problem, and there's these um attitude let's say towards in in gps in general is like oh this is psychological it's not up for me to treat this this condition Uh, and this is i don't know something for a psychologist or for a psychiatrist but it's not for me to treat this condition um and of course there's also a bit of of the stigma that also the patient gets because you the patient comes with real complaints with real symptoms that are disturbing their lives and it, sometimes it's just dismissed by the doctor, oh, this is nothing, or this is this is psychological. And maybe it also gives the patient a feeling, oh, maybe I'm I'm crazy, or maybe I'm making this up, maybe I'm making these symptoms, and maybe the doctor thinks I'm making this up in order to, I don't know, get medical attention or to get a sick leave or or something like this. And I think this is also part of this unsatisfying relationship that is created, is because of this lack of understanding of these symptoms, which is curious because. Lately, science, I think, is bridging this gap uh, regarding these these sort of, let's call them psychosomatic um, uh, symptoms, where there are physical symptoms that the patients are feeling and they are real. Uh, And now, lately, it's it's been um, shown that there's, of course, uh, neurotransmitters and uh, autonomic regulation. I don't want to get too technical here, but there's some changes in the body that happen in certain conditions that of course are linked to mind states. So it's funny to see that all these, all these symptoms that we considered as psychological, now that we can, we can see it on the, on the pathogenesis, there's actually some physical, let's call them organic changes, that also happen in these in this kind of symptoms and these kind of diseases.
0: And would you say that's, that's interesting? Would you say like this gap has been bridged at, um, at an educational level, so when when uh, when you know future medical practitioners go through uh, their studies or their training right now they they actually get uh, more input in, during their education as for as far as say psychosomatic disciplines go, or is it more like uh, um, you know something that the doctor would pursue? Uh, themselves after their formal education. I don't know if this question makes sense, but it's just a point. It, it does make sense.
1: It's, it's a good question. I mean, in my training, I had no approach whatsoever or any education regarding this, uh, this psychosomatic medicine. I don't know what is the status of art now in in German in medical universities, but I, I think this. I mean, this is still unclear. This is still like an discovered path. In, in the medical world, on how these mechanisms work be, between uh, these kind of symptoms and 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 the organic part, let's say. Uh, but is I don't know, for example, symptoms like um, conditions like irritable bowel syndrome (IBS), which is very common, uh, which is considered as a functional disorder, which means there's no organic cause for it, uh, and is usually associated to or uh, early childhood. Treatment trauma or sexual abuse, there's a very strong correlation to this uh, and it's categorized, like I mentioned, as a functional disease. Uh, But now the research is showing that there's actual uh, organic changes in this disease. So, I mean, we cannot start, still call it functional when there's demonstrated tests and alterations that happen on on the brain and, uh, and stomach connection on the axis that are visible in the sense uh, and th- this is new this is still under research uh, so it's it's curious to see how, how it's evolving in the sense that we understand a bit more on this let's say mind-body connection but this this is still a path that's still we still need to walk this path so i don't know what's the status of art now in medical schools uh, but i would hope at least that there's a bit more of, of education in this sense a bit of more um, more input in
0: this in this field yeah, my fair. medical studies were a
1: long, long time ago already, so
0: <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I you know that that makes a lot of sense you know I see more and more again I, i'm more like allow me to say self thought I, I just read mm-hmm. out of interest, but i, I don 't have what, any formal education whatsoever, so I come from um, let 's say a very um, superficial knowledge in in this field, and I do see however so many readings in the last yeah maybe few years let's say five years about Mm -hmm. um gut brain connection and and you know burnout itself and and for sure like gastrointestinal disease and all and all of these things and it feels like it feels almost comforting that uh, that you see so many readings around and there's a lot that comes from um you know because they talk about the gut being the second brain there's a lot about Mm -hmm. nutrition uh, but even then, you of course that's that's another that's topic for another time. Maybe you're, you're under risk of getting lost because there's so much information out there already. Um, but it's more like mission for you to grab rather than rather than something that you would not necessarily discuss at the doctor. And uh, and so let me you know, let's let's sort of touch on on your personal experience uh, uh, with uh, um, also with uh, with your missions along along your mm-hmm. your your past mm-hmm. career and and this I guess is the the sort of experience that gives you uh, a bit of uh, the best of both worlds right like you have a, you have a formal training uh, as a as a gp but at the same time you've experienced things that i assume most gps would uh, would never get to experience and and you sort of like combine this um, this knowledge and that's why i believe it's so interesting to to pick your brain on these things may i ask you then you know what was the what was the thing in uh, in during your missions that uh, that really struck that really stuck with you and, and and what do you think really helped for you to get this uh, this uh, sort of broader sense of uh, of, uh, of well-being mm-hmm. in general? Uh, I,
1: so I think the the main mission where I where I was where I got super deep in, in this uh, in this topic was was when I was working refugees in Greece. Uh, like I mentioned, this project was focused on uh, victims of torture, victims of violence and victims of, of trauma. Uh, so this is, I mean, we, if we think about the refugees, they're already a, a traumatized population. Uh, they've, they've endured countless um, difficulties from the country where they were that led them to the reasons of migration through the journey where where they've... Been through uh, until to the very point where uh, where they are uh, staying, and I mean in Greece there was this uh, camp uh, that existed that is also horrible conditions where people are staying. So I mean just the status of being a refugee it's already a very traumatizing um, situation, uh, and then if you add on top that these are the people among this population the more severe, the, the ones that had a history of torture or history of very severe violence. I mean, we're dealing with cases of people that are very, very vulnerable and very, very traumatized. Um, And I had to learn a lot, to be honest. Uh, I was lucky that this project already existed for a few years. So there's already a lot of experience. Uh, There was a lot of colleagues that were already um, let's say inside the topic and they were already familiar with how, <coughs> how to deal with, this, with these victims. Uh, but also I had, I had to, to go through a lot of literature, with a lot, especially when it comes to torture. Uh, it's a very particular um, world, especially in, in the medical field. There's like conditions that are very uh, unique, very particular, and to really, for me is, if I want to provide the best care for, for these patients, I also need to understand what's what's going on so it led me of course to also research a lot on on several different topics uh and mental health of course was was one of them that i needed to understand in order to provide better care for these patients so i think i was lucky in the sense that i was curious enough of course to to dig deeper in certain topics and to try to to understand Um, and also was with a great team that already had some a great amount of experience that they could share this experience that i, that I could learn from uh, I, and i think this is how this um disproportionate that i, I got so much into these onto these topics i don't know if i diverted the question a little bit
0: oh not Did at all well, i think uh, <laughs> no oh, okay i think it was very interesting i'm actually yeah i'm actually sort of in awe because like I, I i don't know anybody who who had this uh, this sort of um, direct experience, and and I think it's fascinating. If I, you know, if I may ask, like, was it? I assume it was very difficult for for these people to even open up about, you know, their mental well-being in the first place. I mean, first of all, mm-hmm. given their given their condition, and given the fact that they were in a, in a new place, they were they were far from home. They were talking to, you know, basically strangers at the, at that point. Mm-hmm. Of course, strangers who were trying to help them, but. How how hard was it for you to 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 really discuss or to really uncover anything about their mental well being? Um,
1: I mean, to be honest, their mental well being was quite obvious because you would see. I mean, when when there's somebody with on the very extreme level of stress and despair, it's it's quite obvious. I mean, people start losing their their functional abilities to have rest themselves, to eat, to to socialize, to have any kind of interactions. You can you can really uh, see like uh, when when someone is not psychologically not well. Um, and like I mentioned, we were talking about extreme cases that were the cases that we're dealing with. Um, sometimes it would be very hard to help them in the sense that try to give them hope that we could do something about their psychological state. Um, And of course, uh, you mentioned about their their opening up in terms of of their story or or they're talking about their trauma. This is also something that we would probably not do on a regular basis. Sometimes if people want to disclose voluntarily, of course, uh, but it's not something that we, we're searching for because it's, i think it's also very hard if you let's say open the trauma uh it's very hard sometimes to close it and also we were to have to think that we're not in the best situation to open a trauma like i said these people is not that we're, we, we talked about sometimes of post-traumatic stress disorder But we have to see that the trauma is not post. The trauma is still ongoing. These people are still in a refugee camp with horrible conditions, uh, without knowing where their state of of living is going to be, what kind of results they will have from their asylum process. So it's not post-traumatic because the stress is still ongoing. so, yeah, sometimes we, we choose not to open the trauma or not to try to understand exactly what happened to this person because we would be afraid of, of opening the Pandora box that we cannot close. We cannot provide the conditions that are secure enough, safe enough for
0: this person to, to, to be. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very clear. And, and thanks for sharing these insights. I mean, I think, I think honestly, they're, of course, gruesome and sad, but also fascinating at the same time for somebody mm-hmm. who. You know, like like myself, who fortunately is privileged enough not to be, um, not to be in that situation or not to know anybody in that situation. Um, you know, as we we sort of approach the the final part of the discussion, and I, I have like a couple of probably quick follow-up questions, if you don't mind, and uh, and mm-hmm. they sort of uh, bring us back to um, to the things we discussed at the beginning of the of the conversation. And, and one is, you know, I think one is directly related to to the occupational world to the work environment and and one is related i feel to um just any anybody who's experiencing some sort of uh, um you know symptom related to their mental well-being and don't know exactly what to do and they're lost so starting with this one do you would you say and this is of course like you know we're talking about our own very personal opinion here but would you say that it still makes sense to follow to follow the the traditional course of action where you experience certain symptoms and the first thing you do is uh, is go to the to the general practitioner and uh, and and start there as a as a path to your to your recovery um
1: it's a good question and like you mentioned it's a, it's a bit of a personal opinion um i Think it makes sense because, like I mentioned, one of the things that the GPS does in the first place is to exclude. There's anything potentially life-threatening or there's like an organic disorder. And I think also for many people that they have symptoms that they don't understand exactly sometimes what's going on. It can also be reassuring to understand. Okay, I've done my checkup. I've done I've done my blood work. I've done my results. There's nothing. Physical, I think that there's, of course, this double-edged sword that can go, but I think it's also good that people understand, okay, if, if you have enough, let's say, maturity to understand, okay, this is, uh, could be something that is psychological or stress-driven, or there's this um, more psycho- psychosomatic component, uh, and I think this can also be helpful to to exclude that there's nothing else beyond that
0: yeah and and yeah thanks thanks for thanks for saying that i i actually i have to say my experience was exactly that um i i could thanks to um to thanks to the general practitioner i could exactly you know sort of like put my mind at ease at rest uh when it came to um you know to actual diseases that that i i thought i might have right and and so um I believe we're on the same page there and and, mm-hmm. and my second, I would say probably final question, um, you know, not to not to keep you here the whole day, would be if I were to to transfer this situation in the in the workplace, right? Like I as as what we do a lot here in, in this podcast in Step zero is to sort of try to tie uh, most most um mental well-being related situations to what happens at work we deal a lot with uh, with uh, stress at work anxiety at work burnout itself so if you had you know and again we are in the sphere of uh, absolute personal opinion here but uh, if you were to to suggest one thing that would uh, would have sort of an immediate or 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 quick impact on employees and could make things better from a mental health perspective mental well-being perspective what do you think that could be and, and I know that there is a there is a thousand there is a thousand of them, and not necessarily there is one that is better than the other. Uh, I'm just curious on on mm-hmm. your opinion. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, there's so many factors that can be involved in this, and it's a very individual. Um, something as, as like as, as a guideline is is try to to have the border between work and personal life clear. Uh, I think, especially if we're talking about stress-related, uh, <clears throat> sorry, work work stress-related um, disorders, I mean, I, th- I think one of the things that people usually cannot do is, is to have a clear border, okay, this is my work, this is my personal life, and it's a bit entangled, and you, you bring the stress of the work into your personal life, and this is like perpetuating the stress that you've been having. I know sometimes it's not easy, and I also speak for for experience, but trying to make this line as as clear as possible and try to detach and and really have your personal time uh, for your own hobbies and for your uh, social contacts and and having a bit of self-care, I think is
0: really important. I I couldn't agree more. I think I'm I'm a thousand percent on the same page, and I think especially now. You, I guess you, you hit the nail on the head because, especially now with this, you know, constant being locked home and, and being isolated, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's yeah. definitely not easy um, to to separate what you do professionally to from what you do personally. You you know whether you at the end of the day whether you watch a video on YouTube or you're or you are in a in a work chat or you're sending emails or you're on a call with a client, you're still most likely sitting in the same place. Uh, Mm -hmm. at your desk or or in your living room in your kitchen uh, and it doesn't really feel like you're getting that uh, that separation so I think I think it makes sense especially now to sort of make an effort and see and see where the the things can can sort of um, be separated one from another right Um, exactly Gustav, I, 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 mean, first of all, thank you for for taking the time and doing this, and uh, and of course there is there is a lot of stuff that we could uncover, and, and it might you know five six hours might not be enough. Uh, but <laughs> I, I hope that this at least, at least um, give um, people a glimpse into into what you've been through as a as a professional, and uh, and and it was interesting to pick your brain. Like um, as a you know as a conclusion, let's say to our discussion, like where can people um, find you like? Is there any best way to to reach you or or see where you are at? Um,
1: that's a good question. <laughs> I think LinkedIn is a is a possibility. Uh, you can you can look me up on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, I don't have any personal website or anything. I don't do much advertising for myself.
0: <laughs> L- L- LinkedIn it is you no. Know, I, I as you as you probably know, I spend most of my day there. So I I believe and I believe you know for sure. for people. People listening to to this podcast, like uh, LinkedIn, is probably is probably one of the main channels. So, Gustavo, once again, thank you so much. Um, I you thanks know, for having
1: me, Mateo. It was really a pleasant chat,
0: actually. It was no, it was it was my pleasure. I'm really happy we did this. Hopefully, who knows, we'll will will have you again in the future. And uh, and sure. uh, you happy know, to. once again, um, thank you, and and we'll speak soon.